Tell them what are you doing right now? Are you working? Uh, I'm on I'm on Letterbox, but I'm also doing a little work. What the fuck? <laughs> All right, can you pause your work for like an hour? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Of so course. we can talk about found footage. Yeah. Again, um, now I'm just see- pulling up a list of like found footage movies I can't find, uh, like rare ones that may like be shelved or like unreleased or just um, kind of in limbo or real or real. I wonder, are there any found footage movies that there has to be, dude? I mean, I've seen like you know shitty YouTube trailers that are just you know they're just meant to be trailers, but usually people always disclose that too. So yeah, I I don't know. There's one called uh, Tontine Massacre from like 2010 or 11. Apparently, it had like a one time screening uh, on Facebook Live or something. So only like a handful number of people have actually quote seen the movies. And I don't know if that one ever like is, I don't know if that one's real or not. Tontine from 2010. Yes. It used to be called the Fiji tapes. Whoa. What the, how did you find out about this? Oh man. It, I mean, the trailer looks cool as hell because the, you know how, um, Paranormal Activity and Blair Witch Project are known for having like the best found footage marketing. Uh, this movie had some killer marketing too. Kind of like, you know how we hypothesize in the Blackwell Ghost, like you know whether these uh, Turner Clay things are real or not, because we find some facts on like other websites and things. That's basically what Tontine did. They they had this uh, Survivor like sh- like a reality show that they were passing off as real um, hosted by a guy who actually was on survivor, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So meta sort of thing. And uh, yeah, it lo- the trailer looked really cool. And I think it involved like a natural disaster or maybe something supernatural. Um, but they basically, what, what I'm thinking is because I've done like a lot of research around this movie because I really want to see it. Um, my, my theory is that they basically set up this like found footage short film almost and released it on like, um, media websites that involved the host being in a like altercation with a heckler. And so they basically, in my opinion now, uh, blacklisted themselves so that they didn't have to release the movie or just <laughs> blacklisted themselves to make the movie release more interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally get you. Cause they came out with some kind of statement. If I'm again, if I'm not mistaken, where it was just like, um, you know, due to the controversy of this uh, found footage altercation captured on a cell phone uh, with a heckler, you know, we're postponing the release of Tontine massacre or something like that. Oh yeah. Uh, that's whack. <laughs> that's a weak reason. Yeah. Okay. Tontine Massacre, is this the... I think last time we had you on, you were talking about this film, right? Where Maybe. it only screened one time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're still looking for this one? Oh, yeah. I'm still looking for, like, a handful number of the same movies. You know, like, one of my favorite directors is Koji Shiraishi, who did yeah. uh, Naroi and all these, you know... Oh, for sure. He's the king. Yeah, he's the king. There are a handful number of found footage movies of his that... I can't find that, you know, these other, um, uh, found footage, uh, you know, moviegoers and and stuff can't find like the discord groups and all these, uh, you know, other people trying to find Shreishi's work. 
Um, so I, I actually look for his stuff like daily almost. Okay. Well, have you ever reached out to En Vouement? Do you, you know them, right? Uh, a festival in France, right? Yeah. Nicholas, I think he's one of the programmers there. I, I used to talk to him pretty frequently. And um, he, apparently he told me at one point that they had Koji booked to come out. Oh, wow. To the film fest to do a screening. And I mean, it feels like it shouldn't be that hard to just get in contact with them, right? Well, you know what's funny is you and I initially became friends just by me submitting a short film to the festival. And yeah. I've submitted to them uh, two years now, but haven't gotten in. So it's almost like I would I would love to become acquainted with them, but you know, I almost feel like I have to earn it first, sort of like yeah. how I did with the Unnamed. Well, let me, I could probably put you in contact with uh, Nicholas. He's really cool. The thing is, uh, you know, I don't want to waste Koji's time. You know, he's, he's making masterpieces over there. So, you know, well, the you know he to do is send me a screener. <laughs> we're, we're two degrees away from Koji. So, yeah. I mean, I get you in contact with Nicholas and then we'll, uh, we'll sweet talk him and be like, dude, how'd you talk to Koji? Because, man, I'd love it to have him come out here. I mean, San Francisco, we worship Japan. Yeah. It seems like it would be an easy fit. And we showed Noroi, mm-hmm. and it killed. Yeah. So, I, you know, if anything, if we do reach out to him, we just we should screen some of his other movies. Yeah. I I man. just saw one that he, like, came out with this year. It's called Welcome to the Occult Forest. Uh, <laughs> it's so good. There's a movie and a TV show about it. Oh, did he direct the TV show too? Or? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's on Hulu. Man, he's really like, you know, we call him like the master and the king, and it's for a reason. If if you're not familiar with Koji, he's really a he's a great mind when it comes to dealing with like mixed media and in world camera. Like yeah. he really gets it, and his vibe. Like I feel like he's almost got a a sensibility where his aesthetic can like involve like a deep and unique interpretation of art and comedy that I still don't really understand. Yeah. Like, um, what, what was his, uh, God damn it. The only way I can think to describe the movie is to ruin it. The movie where um, there's a Japanese uh, cameraman with a Korean host. A record of sweet murder. Yeah. A record of sweet murder. It took me a minute. Like you really have to get into like the third act of that movie to really understand the humor of it. Yeah, it, it's got a dark humor. Yeah, you know, it's shot in one continuous take too, so it's like there's a lot of paying attention. You know, there's not any uh, sugar coating, so to speak. Like they really sort of immerse you in that journey by making it one continuous shot, basically ninety percent of the way through the film. Then, like once we Again, I won't spoil anything, but like we hit a supernatural time travel element in. Um, That's act- a spoiler. <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> and I didn't say anything. I won't say anything else. Yeah. But in Act Three, okay, and then uh, that sort of like the moment it feels like where they um, break the continuous shot. Dude, Record of Sweet Murder is incredible. So good. I, I do wonder if that is one continuous shot, though. Right. Randy, Randy, did you ever check that one out? I saw pieces of it at uh, Unnamed, but that's about it. I, be- I believe it is because you know why? Um, if you think about it, I, this I, I don't think this should spoil it, but like the, the, the journey is very like 
stationary for the most part in act two you're just interior like inside uh an abandoned building the whole time so it's hard to you know we know as filmmakers a lot of these cutting tricks like you know in birdman or something like that would be when uh you turn a, a dark corner and you can cut from one black wall to another black wall. Right. Like that's like yeah, one yeah. example of like a, 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 a masked sort of edit or cut. But if you're inside, you know, filming on these actors the whole time, it's, it's very hard to sort of mask the jump cut, if you will. So it, and then act one is like a walking journey. They go, they walk from like one place to another while they're talking and describing things. Yep. So that feel, felt very continuous as well. Yeah. You know, my, the reason I'm skeptical about it is because the movie actually features some pretty complicated choreography too. Mm -hmm. And it's in the third act and just, you know, when you're a found footage fan and you're really paying attention to the craft, dude, doing choreography in the third act of a one shot film seems so fucking ballsy. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me like nervous, even though it's like recorded and done and everybody knows it works out. Just the craft element. I'm like, dude, this is like risky. Yeah, it is. But he's the best. He's the king, like you said. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, Randy, you should watch that movie because Randy's got an eye. I think um, he can spot when people are stitching shit together. Even a, even a wizard like you, Tom, because I know you've been out there editing films. So we gotta, we gotta find something to pull Randy in a little bit better, though. Like if you like time travel movies, definitely. <laughs> or if you do like one continuous shot movies, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I like both those things. There's some there's some like hardcore violence in it too. So you know, just forewarned. <laughs> that's Cody's cool. style as well. <laughs> yeah, there's even a um, rape that is kind of played for. Uh, I don't know if I could say comedy, but there's a there's some nuance to the rape in the movie. Well, there's some. I mean, there's like uh, rape sequences in almost in in a lot of Koji's movies, but in a lot of Japanese cinema in general. That yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah, it is it interesting. Well, it's weird. I wonder. It's okay. So I know you dig into found footage films a lot, but do you ever get like? a feeling of the pulse of like the culture that these uh, films are coming out of. Like does Japan, does Japan like found footage horror? Oh man. I think they are uh top of the game found footage horror. Like I think they have a bigger reach than we do in the States. Really? Um, they, you know, it's, it's, I do a lot of like Google translating in order to a find these films or B find out more about them. So it's hard for me to sort of like understand a lot of, a lot of this, like, like where people are coming from, you know, I'm more so just looking at like story and, and facts and things like that. But um, there is, I feel like such a culture to found footage and specifically like they call it the fake documentary yeah. uh, that like, you, you know, there's these, there's these, um, reoccurring stylistic choices that you see in almost all these Japan J horrors, which is like, if you capture a spirit on camera, they'll replay it in slow motion. You know, that's not something we do a lot of the time in, in faux documentary here. I mean, you do see it in like, let's say, uh, like reality TV show, but like, you know, like, uh, but like, we don't even know half of those are, are real, but like, yeah. you know, yeah. there's just these little stylistic things that I think are 
are so unique that come out of Japan that like, I feel like we've sort of inadvertently adopted a lot of those styles, not even knowing that where they came from. Man, you know, I just, I threw in Japanese found footage, uh, into Google just to see what would pop up. And Norway is the first, which it should be. Yeah. And then, uh, probably something you wrote on about Japanese archives on found footage critic. That sounds like something you would have initiated. No, you know, I don't really write articles on found footage critic. I'm more so adding entries to the database, but, um, I have in the last year or so I've added maybe 200 Japanese horror films to like, uh, IMDB and movie and TMDB and letterbox and all those, uh, databases holy shit so what happened with tubi did they get rid of the found footage like subcategory? they got rid of the 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 category tab if you like search found footage on on tubi yeah you can still i don't know it, it's weird because it sort of just shifted where like their search engine was so good when you wanted to find a found footage movie you just write found footage in the little search box and it'll give you like hundreds of options I think they have like uh, 450 plus movies on there right now that are all strictly mockumentary or found footage. Um, but yeah, they got rid of that tab and I don't really know why. Yeah, I don't know either because I, I know we were all pretty pumped when they added it. You know what? Maybe it's because their their genre tabs are very specific. They don't really do... You know, we find found footage as like a as a main genre, right? But like a lot of people look at it as a subgenre. So you know, maybe they're just keeping like horror, thriller, crime, sci-fi, romance, action, comedy. You know, just like the main surface level genres, and that's maybe why they got rid of it. Yeah, I don't know. I know um, we had uh, the broke horror fan on here for uh, he he was helping to promote Screambox. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Hey, we have a found footage category." Nice. So, you know, I don't. You know, it's been a minute since we've actually sat down and talked. Yeah. And I wonder, have you noticed culture? Like, I mean, we both predicted it, but found footage is coming back, man. I hope so. I, I've been shooting a movie this last uh, two months, so I, you know, I don't even know what's been going on in the world. Well, I mean, what we've had VHS ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Right. Eight now twenty two, you know, a couple of years yeah. from now. Hopefully I can get a segmented by the time they hit VHS twenty <laughs> Have you checked it out? Uh yeah, I thought it was great. Dude, it, it's funny because every now and then, you know, out here in the Bay Area, we've got a lot of film critics and a lot of film fans. And most of them don't like found footage horror. And I it was funny hearing our, our buddies over at Cinematic Oblivion. They do a uh they stopped doing regular podcasts, but every Halloween they'll put out a new one mm-hmm. and uh, VHS came up and they watched it for the first time ever. And like most people, they hated the first one. I think people don't get the voyeurism that is kind of a major element of like found footage horror. Yeah. And, you know, when you have like a shitty protagonist, it really can like flourish in a found footage film because they're doing all the things that you would never do. Yeah. But you got that rear window vibe going. So you're kind of like looking through them. You know what I think the hardest thing about it is, is like VHS is like an anthology, right? You know, where you have different segments and then, and then an overarching wraparound narrative, if you will. Like a lot of the times when, uh, 
films have, or when narratives have different directors attached, it's usually only television that we see that in. So like anthologies are kind of the case, like the case we do get to see that in feature film. And I don't know if there's like a, there, there aren't enough anthology features that are, that are cohesive enough to like really amp up anthologies because you know, the reason why TV show directors only direct TV is because they kind of know how to work together. You know, one episode, like one director will typically just get one episode on a season. Right. And you know, if you got 12 episodes, it's 12 different directors who have to sort of keep the main vision aligned or else things get out of whack. Right. So like with anthologies, it's just, it's just new to feature film. Like, or I'm sorry, maybe I'm wrong in saying that because shit anthologies have been around since like at least the eighties, if not earlier. Right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's just, a, it's a slippery slope to do an anthology because you have to work with all these other directors and cooks in the kitchen. And I think yeah, that, you know, I, I agree with you. And I think that's why shit like ABC's of death doesn't really work for anybody. Mm-hmm. Cause it's kind of like, what are we doing? This could be like YouTube content. Right. But I with found footage, we kind of have the perfect wraparound. Like, I, I don't understand why yeah. VHS like those films could literally be about a vlogger who's like, hey, you know, send me your weird movies. And then the movie is just them opening packages and being like, what's this? And they look at a VHS tape that's like covered in blood with like scotch tape on it that says alien. And they're like, oh, let's pop it in. And then it's a short. Because it would kind of lend itself to different formats. I mean, honestly, the format is what um what I was getting to with Cinematic Oblivion. They complained that the original VHS, none of the shorts were actually on that format. Mm. Which now in 94 and 99, which is what, the fourth and fifth installment in the franchise, we've actually gotten to VHS tapes. Yeah, right? That's which I thought was pretty yeah. funny. That's cool. Yeah, but man, you definitely one should be a part of one of these VHS movies. We should make a bootleg one. Oh we'll just, man, that would yeah, that's like the, that's that's hitting dream status right there. Dude, we'll call it VHS, but we won't put any backslashes in between the letters. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> you think we could get around uh, legally if we did uh, that? Yeah, but um, there there's there's so many movies just with the you know we'll. We'll think of something unique. We'll call it like a VHS fan film submission tape to in hopes to get to direct the 22 segment. Tw- okay. <laughs> you've you've uh, convinced me it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I, I know. We'll call it LaserDisc. Mm-hmm. And then we'll make it about a person who's like, hey, everybody, there's this format that everybody just skipped over. It's called LaserDisc. And then we just make up a bunch of movies on that format. Why don't we just call it floppy disk? And then we <laughs> have to make a micro short because it'll only take a few megabytes of storage space. <laughs> or, you know, it, we'll call it floppy and then we'll have somebody popping in floppies. But then it cuts to like a short about a Zoom call. Yeah. I mean, yeah nobody will care. <laughs> except nah. for cinematic oblivion. Those idiots. <laughs> no, but Tom. Okay. So you're talking about you've been acting, which... Again, I don't know if that makes me happy or sad. It's a little bittersweet. Mm. Since I've known you, since I think the first time we had you on here, I was pressuring you. You got to make a feature film. Yeah. But so now you're working in features, just you're in front of the camera. 
Well, I am set to direct, co-direct one. It is an anthology and it is found footage. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. under, but it, but it's under wraps. It's a sequel to a pre-existing found footage movie. So because it hasn't been like announced yet, I can't really... I can't right, really, well, don't say nothing. I won't say nothing, but, um, you know, I'm still, I'm still directing and I'm still writing and, and, um, but yeah, I have been acting a little bit lately and I'm, I have been blessed and fortunate enough to sort of like have one acting, uh, job lead me to another, you know? So it's, it's, yeah. just, it's just, you know, I don't know if it's a phase. I don't know if I'm just going to act in a couple movies and then, you know, direct the rest of the way. But, um, all I know is that I do love acting. I do love directing, but from making one of my like camping fun films, I, I learned that I don't like doing the two together. Like, oh, okay. Time, you know? All so, right. Well, can you talk about the one you've been working on? Yeah, uh, a little bit. It's called alone in the after. Um, it's directed by Scott Sloan, who also made Malibu horror story. Um, Hell yeah. I love Scott, which played at the fest last year. Yep. Um, and it's, a found footage sort of hybrid, uh, film, um, about a family that just lost their father and he, their father basically taught them their entire way of life because they've never left their compound or, or, you know, land, if you will, they're taught, Mm -hmm. they were grown up and taught that they're the only living beings in the whole world basically. So they almost looked up to their father as a God and um, our sort of family, which is a little culty, you know, but it, it's more <laughs> like a, a psychological drama than it is a horror film, although it is horror. So uh, I don't know. I'm really excited about it. I can't say too much, but like we're almost done filming it. Shit. All right. Well, okay. If I was directing a found footage film and I wrote it, and then I hire you as an actor. One thing I would be worried about, just with your complete immersion in this subgenre, I mean, you you contribute to Found Footage Critic, which is some of the most critical um, perspective on found footage. Is there any point in the movie where you're like arguing about camera angles or anything, or is this no? Very- okay, good. I'll tell you, like we we had a you know because I edit a lot. Um, and naturally on these film sets, like, you know, what is, what do the above the line team do at the end of the day? They, 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 you know, back up the, the footage and they, and they watch it and review it, make sure it's all, you know, good and stuff. And, um, we sort of like set these boundaries or these rules to sort of like keep me in the zone, if you will, by not looking at any of the playbacks, not looking at, uh, not really getting behind the scenes at all too much. Like I went out to Houston, Texas to shoot this movie on um, a 500 acre uh, conservancy, like a, like a forest, if you will. Um, And I was out there for just the last month and really just focusing on acting. It was, it was, uh, it was great. And a lot of the cast that are from Malibu Horror Story are, are in this movie as well. I, I, you know, I just, I could imagine where somebody brings out like a tripod with the camera and puts it down and there's no like actor manning the camera. Is that even, so is like Scott behind the camera. Do you guys have a cinematographer? Yeah. Or- we, uh, yep. Um, our cinematographer is a old college friend of mine, Cody Mitchell, 
who's also producer on the movie and the sort of locations guy. He was the one that sort of landed us this beautiful conservancy out in Houston. Um, he, so again, because this film is like a, a hybrid, we have a lot of the narrative in the traditional stylized format. So um, the only time we really go into found footage has to deal with um, looking back on our father's uh, VHS tapes, which is sort of like how he taught us our way of life. And we also use a old school handy cam to, to sort of entertain ourselves. So that's also like our form of entertainment too. Dude, I love it. I love when the medium is used as like a memory device. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever watch The Midnight Swim? Yeah. Dude. That's good. Like, you know, whenever people make an argument about like found footage is always horror or there's no good non-horror, that one's kind of like walking the tightrope. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like that's horror, but man, it's really emotionally based, which yeah. is like the complete opposite of like a paranormal activity or something. Yeah, I'll say this, uh, like our, our movie's quite emotional too. I, I don't know if I say more than five words, but um, there's just like a, a lot, there's a lot going on still. <laughs> Man, the picture you're painting, are you in a collar for most of the movie? <laughs> uh, okay, don't answer that. I feel like... <laughs> too much. So what's up with, okay, here's another thing. When, you know, for the last, uh, you and Scott were out here. And it was a beautiful thing watching you guys get to meet in uh, real life, in RL, as the kids call it. (laughs) And I was so bummed that I couldn't just hang out with y'all. Oh, man, I know. One of my favorite things was Scott kept saying, like, he had come on the podcast before he came out. And he was like, dude, I didn't understand why y'all kept saying I had a crowd-pleaser movie. And it was going to play really well. And it was this entertaining type of found footage. And then he came out and he watched, like, Robbie's movie. And was just like, dude, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like people are getting really creative in the genre. Yeah. Like just playing with the medium. Yep. And again, I'm, I say Robbie, like everybody's going to know that. I'm talking oh, about like, the Outwaters, which, yeah. you know, now that that movie's been unleashed, dude, you actually, you want to talk about a buddy and his movie being unleashed. What's up with Dutch, dude? Oh, I just talked to him the other day. He's, you know, making moves on the sequel, which he's announced, uh, the Horror in the High Desert sequel. Um, you know, it was, I, I know that there was a lot of announcements saying that it was going to be released, like, um, maybe a month or so ago. But, like, he he and I had talked. I, I heard that he was just kind of adding one more really unique thing to it, and, and it's basically all ready to go. So I haven't seen it yet, but... Um, I've heard really, really good things about it. And yeah, he's just been working his tail off too. Dude, how fucking crazy is it the way that people have taken that movie? Like it's popping up everywhere. Oh yeah. Dude. And, and there's like a lot of like debunkers out there that'll just, <laughs> you know, like on these forums be like, uh, you know, the the there's like there's like a moment where in the in the film they they show like a picture or something of the crime scene and it shows like a, like a severed off hand. And there's like these, like there's like these debunkers out there trying to be like the hand wouldn't decompose like that, you know, or whatever, like, and, and, you know, Dutch, who's like the nicest guy in the whole wide world, like, uh, well, like fact check these things so he could, you know, learn to do better. But then it turns out he's like actually the right one, you know, the one who was just debunking this saying something about a severed off hand, 
Dutch was trying to learn from it. And it just turns out the way he actually did study up on like little tiny, you know, authenticity things. Like, you know, he was just, he's, he's always doing, you know, the right thing. And, and, uh, it's just funny that there's like, when you know, people are sort of like going that deep into, um, your narrative or you're just like, that's, that's when you know you got something good. Dude. It, it, I don't know. I don't know if you've thought about it. Now, here's the th- I love Dutch. I think he's incredible. And he's been promising to, like, give us a link once it was done mm-hmm. forever. So, I yeah, I'm not worried about when it comes out. I'm sure he'll hit us up. Mm-hmm. But also, he's a maniac. Dutch, I'm sure you're listening right now. You're crazy. He <laughs> hangs with the show forever. But love you, Dutch. I'm, I'm so confused. What about that film that people just latched on to? Like earlier, I was talking about um, Cinematic Oblivion, who they never veer into found footage. And partially, probably because of all the stigma that the subgenre still carries is like low art or like, you know, a medium that is really only benefits people without a budget, which is just not true anymore. Yeah. And they watched it. And honestly, there I, I don't know a found you know, footage. You know, I think it is, you know what I think it is? Act one and act two are very authentic. Like, um, meaning like they're just, they're not, you know, they're, they're like, it's not a, uh, how do I, how do I say this? Like, you know, it, it, it's not like a Christopher Nolan movie where you're going to get a lot of like eye candy, right? Like a mockumentary, you get a lot of testimonial interview style, uh, sequences. So like act one and two, which really sort of give you this whole backstory on this missing person is just very authentic, I think. And then when you get to act three of that movie, it's just terrifying. Like yeah. it's, you go actually more into the found footage versus the mockumentary mode. And you follow this point of view of the last sort of like moments of this, of this person's life. And it's just the way Dutch executed it. So freaking scary. Yeah. I also think the, like the vehicle of it being a TV show really kind of like struck people. Because you know, you know how hot true crime is. Oh yeah, it kind of comes off like one of those shows. It does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, he sent us a link um, like a week ago, and he was like, "Hey, uh, this publication cited you guys as a reference," and I can't remember. I think it was like Looper dot com or something. But it's like that's a scary thought. I mean, ask Randy when people are looking to this show for factual information. <laughs> Yeah, Randy, look at him. He was tempted to talk shit right there. Well, y'all talk um, about niche films all the time, so, you know, I, I'm not surprised. Yeah, no, I, it's just, I don't know, it's weird. Um, Horror in the High Desert and Terrifier 2 are movies that I'm kind of shocked just, like, seeped into, like, mainstream culture. Because, dude, I'm getting push notifications on my phone now that are like, is Art the Clown immortal? I'm like, who the fuck is writing this? Man, I got to see Terrifier too. You know what? I went to the theaters the other day with my girlfriend and she, uh, she brought a friend along. So b- before I say this, uh, well, I had the reason I say that Uh-oh. is we both saw a different movie. She saw Terrifier 2 and I saw that that new one with uh, Florence Pugh and Harry Styles. Oh, the what, Randy, what is it? You're not in your head. Don't worry, darling. Yeah, that's it. What the fuck? What were you high or something? What? Why did you make that choice? Um, I just knew I wanted to see it, and <laughs> and also, you know, I am stoked about Terrifier too. Uh, but there was a 
film that came out before Terrifier that had Art the Clown in it, and I wasn't a big fan of that one. So I just I like I I I actually really like Terrifier, but I just don't love the franchise. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Are you talking about All Hallows Eve, the anthology film? Yeah. See, well, okay. That's interesting because we actually had Damien on here, Damien Leon, the uh, director. And I brought up All Hallows Eve because I think it's actually got a little bit of a tie-in to found footage. Yes. So, um, right, you you remember it. It's an anthology horror. And the premise is that on Halloween, uh, this lady, her her child gets a VHS tape. She's babysitting and the kid gets a VHS tape in his trick-or-treat bag. Yeah. Watch a horror movie or something, right? Yeah, and they throw it on, and it's kind of like it's one of the guys that works on um, the Unnamed Footage Festival with us, uh, Birdman. He's been on the show a couple times. Charlie, love him to death. He's a very like soft-spoken dude, very funny, but he's he's also got a lot of good ideas. Mm-hmm. And one thing he would always talk about, he's the one that got it in my head the idea of the haunted artifact. Like one of the great things about found footage is that the physical medium literally can bridge you in reality with the film and it can add like another layer of immersion. And what I mean is like, okay, did you see um WNUF2 also known as yeah. <laughs> out there Halloween party or something? <laughs> yeah. 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 Did you watch that? I did. Did now, okay. Now I know you're very in the know and you're very on the the scene. Did you get a link or did you buy the DVD? Um I found a link. All right, um, I'm going to do something for you right now. I know you're a Blu-ray collector, and you have a custom-built shelf for all your Blu-rays, but you're going to have to add another DVD to your collection. Oh, cool. I would love to. I I, I definitely enjoy those movies, and I even have a WNUF t-shirt. Dude, well, here's the thing. What I've been begging for from found footage uh, creators, who I think... Um, Ricky Umberger almost did with the the fear footage is you to bridge that gap and to get back to that Charlie idea of like the haunted artifact with um Ricky oh so did though like Ricky was Ricky is actually inventing some new cool shit that I, you know there's just some layers to fear footage man like you really look back on it because like that's one of those things I love showing my friends if they're like over at the house oh, you know we yeah. have movie night like fear footage is the perfect movie to watch with your friends and it just gets I love it the more and more I watch it but like he's doing cool shit with found footage that not a lot of other people are where like you know, you're in your sequel talking about your previous movie and then like making a counterfactual history event out of it. Like it's, it's hard to explain it. It's, it's very meta, but it's like, I even think Ricky's just totally actually on that wave of like inventing some new shit. I completely agree with you. And you know, a lot of the times when we talk to people who do in-world camera cinema here, I mention the fear footage mm-hmm. and I mention literally what you're talking about with the fear footage too. I'm like, dude, those ideas are just, they feel so unique and um, especially to the genre. But now, you know, I actually edited uh, a very, very like short, like thing for uh, his next movie. Oh, dude. Now, okay. I don't know how much we can talk about this. Wait, no, to get back to my original idea though, with the the haunted artifact one with um, out there Halloween special. Did I get that right? Megatape. Out there Halloween megatape. Okay, god damn it. <laughs> that title. When you get the DVD, there's an insert that comes in it 
and it gives you context to the movie you're watching. Oh. Much like, you know, you've seen it. You're watching basically a uh, recording off of television again. Yep. But that comes in with, with the slip comes with a little, it tells you about Trader Tony, who's a dude who used to distribute illegal, illegally um, film that he would record. Oh. And he went to jail for it. And then Chris La Martina hooked up with him and convinced him to redistribute the thing under an educational label to raise money to get him out of prison. Wow. So what, what you just bought is helping get this fictional character out of jail. Oh man, I'm in, I'm sold. But that link, like the fact that you're holding the tape and then you put it in, well, there's a problem there because it's not a tape, it's a DVD. Yeah. But the idea that, you know, the medium, it's now invaded reality is perfect. And I think with the fear footage too, you're correct, except that it's internalized in the movie because Ricky Umberger is a real dude who's holding the movie and is like, uh, I didn't film this. Yeah. So if you could give that experience to the audience, I think it would be perfect. You know what my problem is, is I find out about these movies when they're sort of in development. So like my anticipation for them is so freaking high that like by the time that there is a link available somewhere, like I one probably know about it cause I'm, spending all day looking for, you know, uh, rare found footage movies, uh, and two, just, you know, because I am a fan of the franchise or fan of something I'm highly anticipating. Yeah. I, I typically just jump the gun on it. Yeah. And you know, honestly, I think, um, this community needs you. <laughs> so I would never want to dissuade you or, or, you know, convince you to start waiting to watch these movies. Cause I think you need to be right up there. But well, I, also- I was write letters to the directors, you know, cause, uh, like just being associated with the festival, like sometimes I'll, I'll, you know, like usually I'm just reaching out to say, Hey, you know, I work in a lot of areas of found footage, but I just, you know, more so I'm a fan of the genre and I'd love to check out your movie. Um, and a lot of the times that, you know, a lot, a lot of the times directors are more than happy to share, uh, stuff with you, but like, you know, on some of these bigger ones, that's why they have, you know, only like production company uh, or, you know, like representing the film. It's it's hard to sometimes get those screeners to like, uh, you know, Tontine Massacre, like we talked yeah. about, Absinthe, which we don't know if really exists or not, like all these or Koji Shirashi's movies, who's, you know, big time. But um, yeah, you know, there are a lot of uh found footage filmmakers that are very like uh, interactive or at, you know, with their audience. So it, it's, it's easy to watch a lot of these movies by, by just reaching out to them sometimes. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you're tapping on the glass though. Like, yeah. You- right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, it is, you're right. I shouldn't like, I don't recommend doing that. You know, I more so do it from like a, not even a business point of view, because like, I'm not trying to make, I'm, I'm never making, I'm never trying to, nor actually making money off of like, <laughs> you know, these, these acquaintanceships, but it's more so like, you know, working at found footage critic, you know, I yeah. love to like talk about just facts of the movie really. Yeah. And honestly, you know, you're a creator, you know, how important it is to have people come out and be like, Hey dude, I love your work. Mm-hmm. And how much that can just like motivate you to continue. And for, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that found footage has been gearing up again, but dude, I still, I feel like it's in the wrong way. 
Like, I feel like Ricky Umberger and Dutch Merrick and Robbie Banfinch and, you know, Thomas Burke, they, you guys should be getting elevated and we should have a VHS where it's y'all making a movie doing shorts. But like, we have that problem where we're pulling established traditional filmmakers backwards. And then, you know, I think that's why you end up with like a VHS 94, which a lot of people were lukewarm on. And it's like Jennifer Kent is a fucking incredible director. Yeah. Jennifer Reader. Jennifer Reader. God, I keep mixing those names <laughs> up. So who's who's on the new um uh Guillermo del Toro show? Is it Kent or Reader? Kent. Oh, okay. It is Kent. Interesting. Because I was thinking it was Reader on that show. <laughs> okay, all right. Yeah, because you get a director like Jennifer Reader, who I stand by that is a very talented director. And you almost get the feeling when you watch the movie that she's trapped by the in-world camera narrative. Like I personally think it's really freeing and you can do a lot more narrative. You can tell different stories through it. Hey, did you ever check out we're all going to the world fair? Yeah. I like that one, man. I almost feel like if I sat down with that movie, I could make a pretty strong argument that that's an in-world camera film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, but it, oh, you mean like that there's another camera, like always, uh, yeah. Yep. Interesting. Well, do you mind sharing that? Cause like, I know that the times that we're not in like found footage in that movie is when we're seeing this, um, this, the, 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 the male actor's perspective. Well, that, and we get a little bit of, um, okay. For anybody who hasn't seen it, I'm, and if you're a fan, I mean, clearly if you're listening this far, you're a fan of in-world camera cinema. We're all going to the World Fair is like 80% a screen life film about a girl navigating a online community where there's a kind of like Slender Man type dare. It almost feels like, yeah, very creepy pasta. And now I'm just going to go ahead and kind of like, not really spoil it, but I want to get into the ending here. I feel like that whole movie is kind of a... Well, okay, when we're thinking about found footage horror, like, who's the editor, right? Like, at the end of the day, who, like, which character is, like, crafting the narrative? And I feel like there's a good argument for it being her. And there is some stuff in the the man, uh, the male character's, like, house that is very, like, I don't know. I almost feel like you could make an argument that a lot of it is constructed post craft uh, like well because yeah, i yeah, think yeah. that film i think that film's about a girl like let's take um what's what's a fun online community let's say QAnon. <laughs> like you know there's there's an online rage like QAnon. everybody's getting into it so what you know a savvy thomas burke might do is be like well i'm gonna jump in and i'm gonna play a little and you realize that there's a lot of personal real estate you can carve out in this community And I think there's an important scene in that movie where she's looking through YouTube videos at like the views they get. And she's like kind of watching them every now and then. And I feel like that's one of those found footage moments where you get to see through the editor's eyes what's important. Mm -hmm. And she's kind of like scoping out the crowd. And I think her relationship with the male in that movie is very predatory. And yeah. I think the whole time she's like leading that dude. Like it's, she's kind of like, it's like a breadcrumb trail. Oh 
Yeah, I think she's actually a very, you know, honestly, um, it kind of supports my theory of the uh, evil protagonist mm-hmm. and like the voyeurism thing. Like we get to kind of vicariously live through her in that movie. Yeah. I don't know. It's, that's interesting. I like that. Um, you know, really quick, if I could say something about VHS before I forget, is that. Um, Which one? The, the the very last one that just came out because we were just talking about it. And one thing that sort of uh, stuck with me here is when you had said that, like, yeah, it's true. There aren't a lot of um, people as favorable of this last one that let's say, you know, its predecessor. And yeah. I think the reason that is, is because like, um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know anything, but like, I think that, uh, they had such higher stakes in the last, in the, in the, uh, sorry, I get these mess, mixed up because it's, it's 1980. What is it? It's like, so it's VHS one, two, oh, yeah. viral, <laughs> then it's 94, 99. And now I think they're going to make an 84. Oh yeah. Yeah. 84 or something. The reason I was going to say is like, uh, the, you know, two movies ago, it, it, it was very like, cohesive in the sense that all of the segments were like just intense, you know, or, or, or sorry, that's not the right coin of phrase because like, I mean, it's all intense in my opinion, but like, it just seemed like if you were to take one segment from the new film, let's say, and stick it in the old one, it wouldn't work because mm. they, I'm not going to say they like downgraded, they like had a lesser budget on this new one, but it was just a different style. And so, um, the reason I think VHS is so promising is especially after figuring out what's going on in this, uh, this one that's in development, the 84 or whatever, Yeah, you know, I think the best move that they made was getting Scott Derrickson as a director on that thing. And Dude, if, and if you I don't have- know Scott Derrickson, he made uh, a movie called Sinister, which is like, which a lot of people will quote and say is the scariest found footage horror movie ever. But the, the funny thing is only 10% of that movie is found footage. It's just, he was so effective in his, in his found footage tapes that were in that film that like, I think, um, you know, he's just like the, he's the perfect dude that should be making, you know, be attached to VHS. Like I'm only worried where you're going to go after that because your art, you you know, you're, you're basically hiring the best of the best here. Yeah, man, that's really interesting. I did not know that. Um, he was attached. Yeah. Oh man. It's so freaking cool, dude. Well, okay. We're again, we're talking about like, this kind of ties into all hollows Eve where there's like, ah, man, you know, back in the day when we were talking to Aaron and Moorhead before we like botched that interview so terribly, <laughs> well, I um was in an Alamo lobby and I was telling them, you know, one movie that feels very found footage, but kind of deals with it in every way, including having a blog that's in world was resolution. Uh-huh. That movie deals with different kinds of footage. It, it literally has characters finding footage. They're yeah. watching it. It's infecting their lives. And by the end of it, you might even make an argument that it is in world. Well, you know, there's a lot of these movies that reflect that, that are like, you know, a lot of people think the Chernobyl diaries is a found footage movie. And I don't even think there's like one found footage set. Oh, the opening shot is found footage and that's it. Dude. That's the weirdest one because it's almost like a found footage Mandela effect. Oh, that's what I was just gonna say too. I think it's a Mandela effect. Like everybody saw the found footage version, and then all of a sudden we all 
traversed into a parallel dimension where they shot it traditionally. <laughs> it, it, it's weird because I almost have like false memories of it being found footage too. But and- you know, I've did I've dove into this and, and had conversations with other directors about it. It's like um, they, I don't know if that was the intention going in, but like it was it, a lot of the times these found footage movies in order to generate a catharsis, you do what's called following the action. It's just allowing yourself to get a little more intimate with your, uh, atmosphere and, and your characters and the movement by, you know, keeping things from the perspective of the filmmaker. And um, Chernobyl Diaries is a good example of that just because, you know, they didn't they didn't have the camera on a tripod half the time. A lot of it was wow. movement. And I think that's why people think it's found footage is just because, you know, the camera will walk with your actor, with your subjects, um, but it's not ever really established as a cameraman. Man, I have a way lamer theory why people think it's found footage. Uh Uh-huh. You want to hear it? Yeah, yeah. It's because they put diaries in the title. (laughs) Dude, it's just like um, tapes. Like whenever they put that in. Or incident or all those things. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, that's another thing. Talking about this like blending immersion in reality like taking away a movie like sinister, like, which is just a traditional title and then calling it like, um, you know, tape 84 Lincoln project or something. It makes it feel more uh, like utilitarian. Like it's kind of like, Oh, I'm in a library and I just pulled open an archive and this is a tape that people don't know has an actual death on it. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, it's almost a signal to you that this is not a traditional movie. Yes, I agree. Um, you know, there's a lot of this displayed in poster art too. Like I look through various poster art daily on, on, on databases to, where basically I have this theory where like I can sm- scope out a found footage movie by not even reading the synopsis <laughs> by looking at the poster. Because Dude. a lot of the times if you see five people on a poster in the woods it's found footage or like, you know, uh, like just these other little things. If you see a camera in the poster, it's, you know, maybe a found footage or at least a hybrid or, you know, just these other sort of like elements. Yeah. If you see see a, um, possessed woman, uh, with an arch back hovering vertically up in the air, you know, that it's probably a found footage movie. You know, it's funny because when, like years ago, when we were designing the first poster for Uff, I'm like, you know, I really want people to look at it and understand that this is found footage. And what I went with was just giving the like the rectangle square. Like when you're looking through a viewfinder. The HUD overlay, yeah. The HUD, there you go. Yeah, I'm like, I'll just throw that on there. And I felt like that was the easiest way to communicate like in-world camera. Yeah, but a lot of of industry professionals... uh, frown upon that because it just, they, they find that it like, uh, just seems amateur or like a lot of the times, um, posters have to be very, very specific in their placement and design. Because like, if you have a HUD overlay, which we all know is like the corners of your frame, right? Yeah. If you put that on a poster or fan art, it's, it's going to get cropped out on like, you know, some websites or, or, you know, because it's so close to the corner. A lot of the times posters can't get approved unless they're unless the text and certain pieces of art are more in the center of the of the um composition man it's fucking crazy like that's a whole industry right there we've we've talked to so many directors who have made a movie and then they get picked up 
and they're they're pumped and then you know they realize i have no control over the poster the whole distribution team has their own marketing sometimes or you know where it goes yeah yeah well dude have you ever seen nightlight yeah that movie has one of the most unfound footage posters i've ever seen (laughs) yeah it does dude google it like it's got like five faces on it like you mentioned earlier it's also got trees in there to let you know it's in the woods but the way it's cropped up it totally yeah. looks like a post scream slasher from like the early 2000s You're or something. right. I'm looking at it right now. It's like extreme close-ups on everybody's face. <laughs> Dude, it does not read like found footage in any way. And yet I think that's one of the best found footage movies out there. Well, you know, they yeah, it, it's I, I it, it was pretty good. Um but they made that movie Haunt that came out, which is not found footage, but damn, that movie is like one of my new favorite horror films. Wait, they made Haunt? Yeah. Oh shit, I didn't even put that together. Mm-hmm. Haunted's good. It's really good. I just watched it again. Uh god. Uh, I was just last time we recorded, I I brought up the Rob Zombie acoustic track that Clark loved. Again, I don't know if we got it when we started recording, but Clark is in traffic right now. It's raining out here in the Bay Area, and when rain comes down, people forget how to drive. They're either flooring it, which explains why I passed three car accidents on the way home today. <laughs> Or they're driving 20 miles per hour waiting to be rear-ended. Well, yeah, we want him to drive safe. So if he needs to go slow, we'll go at this all night if we have to. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. At this rate, I think he was supposed to show up at 7.30, which uh, is like five minutes away. And we, Tom, you know I could sit here and talk to you all night. Easy. Me too, of course. But Randy, (laughs) Randy, our engineer, who makes the show sound as good as it does, has a bedtime because he's an adult. So I'm not going to keep you that long, True. but uh, I don't know. At any minute, he might pop up. But back to um, Insidious. Now, I, I I mentioned All Hallows' Eve because it's the same thing. Where we're dealing almost with a like zoomed out version of found footage. Like I love Insidious. Was it Insidious? What the hell am I talking about? Sinister. Sinister. Yeah, it's in Sinister. You know, he finds um, reels. And he's watching them. And I always thought that was a beautiful example of like what it's like to be a kind of like solo horror fan. Like if you have a friend group, but nobody wants to watch them with you, there's almost something where like, if you're in a room and the lights are out and you're watching a horror movie alone and you start to think about that, you could arguably be like, man, what am I doing? (laughs) Like, Like, is everything all right? And, you know, clearly he's the protagonist in that movie. But the fact that he found the footage and it's kind of, you know, it's the curse in that movie. A lot yeah. like the ring. Yeah, because it's designed only for him to see like those like, you know, because he moves into he's a writer who moves into the house and who's like secretly doesn't tell his family about the crazy murder that happened. So he can, you know, make sure that they live at peace while they're while they're there. But he can still do his research like the 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 myth is like or the curse, if you will, is like those tapes weren't there when the the move transition happened like they were sort of like paranormally placed there just for him to uh to perceive which you know knowing the sinister like story it's like uh every sort of victim kind of has that um kind of has that discovery alone you know which is just like their own sort of perception of of finding this footage well what a cool idea too yeah, like a found footage narrative, like 
the footage kind of came to you. Like you might have found it, but like it wasn't there before. Yep. I don't man, I love this this subgenre. And I I wish you know, it's weird. We talked to like like Robbie Banfinch, he's got a new um found footage movie that should be starting to come out. Yeah, Tinsman Road that should be coming out. Well, here's the thing. So he makes Outwaters, which people love or hate. It's very diverse. I mean, that's what I want in film. And then he makes Tinsman Road, and I'm like, fantastic. We got like Terrence Malick stylized movies, like Ex Volus and all these, and White Light. If you look up on his YouTube, like he's got all these like straight up traditional films too that are amazing. Well, that's the thing. When you talk to him, it's like, hey man, uh, I'm here on. I'm the ambassador to the found footage subgenre world, and we're so glad to have you. And he's like, well, you don't. Like, I, I want to make other movies now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> or you get the reverse, where you get, like, an established filmmaker who who's kind of, like, offered money to come be a part of a new franchise anthology. And they're like, oh, I'll play around a little bit. We need, like, dedicated filmmakers to this genre. Yeah, but, you know, Robbie's, <laughs> he's such a nice guy that, like, I feel like he's always down to make found footage. And, you know, if a... If a big wig comes to him and is uh, like, hey, like, I'll give you money to make the Real Housewives found footage, like, he'll fucking <laughs> do that. <laughs> I, I hear you, Tom. So you're saying we should bully him into making more found footage movies. I think he will. You know, this. Uh, <laughs> the, I really want to attach him to the quote-unquote project I can't talk about right now. Dude, it's okay. So, all right. I know you can't talk about it, but I'm going to ask you questions. Mm-hmm. Is this an anthology idea you have? It's not that I have. I got I got brought on to do it with um, six other directors who have made uh, some of the biggest found footage movies I've ever even seen. Okay, so all right, let me talk to you now as if I were a uh, corporate entity with like a little bit of money to throw around. Now, if I was going to stitch together an anthology horror, like say I wanted to do a, like some competitor to VHS, and I was looking to hire people, what would be a number that you would need to be attached? Like, I know I realize now that this could be a dubious question to ask, but I know with ABC's A Horror, they were giving out five grand, a director, like, go make a short. Mm-hmm. Is that enough or not? Are you, are you saying for me, like, for me to be satisfied or just for, like, the these, these story to work? No, like, if I came to you and I'm like, hey, I want to make an anthology found footage film. I want you to do a short. I got five grand for you. Can you do it? Oh, I would pay them to do it. You know, like I, I would seriously, you know, um, you're bad at this dude. (laughs) Well, I like working with my friends and that's one of the things that the industry always says is like, don't work with your friends. Right. Yeah. But like a lot of these filmmakers that I look up to, I've been lucky enough to, uh, befriend some of them and, and, and work with some of them that, you know, that's my favorite thing to do is to work with the people you look up to. And, um, that's sort of the case here. So I think like with this movie, our, we are um, like, it's going to be the biggest thing I've ever worked on to date. I'm really, really stoked about it. Um, and I'm also a little nervous just cause I want to do a good job with it. But like uh, I've been writing this script for two years, uh, just developing this like one segment in the, in the film that um, so, you know, I, I, sometimes it's the story that just, you know, makes me feel so passionate about it. It's like, I would do it at any and all cost, you know, not necessarily like, you know, cause there are some stories that I've developed that I'm like, I have to make this film, even if it's not today or tomorrow or this project or the next, like I'll definitely revisit, you know, this, 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 or this. And, um, 
you know, this story that was lucky enough to uh, get accepted into this, into this uh, franchise now is definitely one worth like um, doing at any and all costs. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. You're a good man. (laughs) You're a good dude. Now, I want I want to bring up something else. Now we were talking in a DM, and this will be the last thing I promise, Randy, about a, a film you have out now that you worked on, the uh, Ghost of Hiroshima. Mm-hmm. Now I remember telling you, I was like, you hit me up and you're like, hey, did it work for you? Like, what'd you think? And I was like, eh, it didn't really work for me. I believe I said that I I thought your editing elevated the film, and that otherwise it felt like a little like disjointed for me. Well. I was speaking to one of our other um, unnamed footage festival collaborators, um, Sam. Terrell. Oh. No, not Terrell. He's <laughs> on the movie too. But Terrell, yeah. Terrell, dude. Let me tell you this. Terrell gave that movie a harsh rating, and I gave him shit about it too. Because uh, he was... Oxonic. here, I'm going to turn your mic up. <laughs> you, you, you have permission to talk. Now, when that movie started, he was fucking jumping at everything. Yeah several times and he dude he was terrified and i was looking at him like what is going on with you dude (laughs) like it was just it was it clicked for him and the only thing that lost him was that one point in the film uh i believe a vhs tape has popped in you know very on brand and then there's we enter into this like 60 minute style talking Sorry to interrupt. It's the same thing that we just talked about where it's like the paranormal sort of presence that's yeah. making tapes only visible to the protagonist. No, exactly. And that's what I was going to get to is so, you know, I, I realize now that I had kind of like a basic bitch interpretation of the movie where I was basically taking it for its like aesthetic value. And I was looking at it. I'm like, I don't know. I'm not really into the characters and which is very lazy on my part, especially for all the found footage shit I deal with. So Terrell, it completely clicked for him and it lost him at the oral. The it was it's kind of an exposition dump when we have the talking head on the screen. Now I was talking to BBC style, like 1970 footage you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's long. So it lost Terrell. And, you know, he started going on his phone. Now, I was talking to Sam and he brought up a good point where if you haven't seen it, go check it out. I think it's on Amazon Prime right now, right? Uh, the ghost of Hiroshima. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sam brought up a good point where the actual story that's taking place is pretty terrifying. Cause I mean, of course, you know what happened in Hiroshima <laughs> and the ghosts are there and uh, there's footage involved. And I don't know. I just, I wanted to tell you, I've been thinking about it and I'm like, you know, how, how do you bridge that very emotionally wrought like nightmare idea with like visual aesthetics. And I'm just, I'm not sure why it didn't work for me, but I started thinking about it and, you know, just now talking to you about like footage that you find, but that was kind of meant for you to find too. Exactly. We see, we were trying a little bit of something new with that and uh, you know, being inspired off of movies like the ring and, and, um, certain things like that to sort of like talk about like cursed footage. We wanted to try something new and the director and I have had long discussions about kind of how these long sequences uh, would go. And so we kind of 
you know, it may work for some people and may not for others, but like we at least went in with the intention of being very, very specific with like how we were going to stylize these, these segments and sequences and, and sort of make them weird and, and sort of like, you know, not up to, uh, sort of like accuracy. You know what I mean? There's a lot of like unintentional or sorry, intentional zooms, like, but like, um, it's, it's just a little, it's a little like in depth where, you know, we're not, we're never, uh, explaining everything, so to speak of why you have like, uh, a film camera with some digital artifacts in it sometimes, you know, but like we sort of went in with the notion that, okay, the further along the tape we go, we have, it, we're going in with this intention of really degrading the footage and making it more and more sort of like, um, distorted or, you know, cursed or, uh, sort of making this malevolent uh, presence sort of come to surface a little bit harsher or a little bit more um, uh, aggressively. So, you know, there's just some things that we were definitely trying with, with, with that long sequence. Now, how did you get attached to this project? Were you there from the beginning or I just imagine in your world that every now and then um, people Mm -hmm. who are making found yep. footage might reach out to you for like your expertise. Well, yeah, I, I was attached to this from the beginning and you know, the specific segment we're talking about right now, how to get shot first, because it's sort of one of those things where you have like, you have, you're shooting a scene of an actor reacting to footage that you also have to shoot. So, you know, basically I had to edit this whole, I had to edit that whole sequence a year before like the movie was sort of, uh, out. And, oh. <laughs> and so I've been attached to it for a long time where like I edited, you know, part of the movie in uh, what is it? 2021. And you know, the rest this year, dude, was, <laughs> was it shot in Japan? Uh, no, but locations were at, like a very big importance of like the atmosphere that they just found a lot of really unique places in Los Angeles that sort of what emulated Japan. Fuck? That was in LA. Yeah. Who the fuck built that house? <laughs> why was the okay? I have many questions about this house. One, why was the bathroom not attached? That was dude. Oh, uh-huh. What the hell? There's that. What what's up with the outdoor kitchen? Uh-huh. <laughs> what right? I mean, like what Yeah, it's different. It's it's a really unique <laughs> house, that's for sure. That attic? Yeah, it you know it, it it was like the perfect spot I think uh, to shoot this movie. It, you know, uh, for anybody that hasn't seen it, the the preface is that a, a video vlogger uh, just inherited a house from his uncle that died in Japan. So he's thinking like, hell yeah, I got to go to Japan and check out this house. But he has only one deal, like one uh, stipulation in order to get the house is that his uncle wrote in the will that he that the character has to stay one night in the house. And what he doesn't know is that there's hidden cameras all around the um, house sur- surveilling him. And that's sort of like a lot of where, you know, our found footage movie does go in this mockumentary sort of perspective for a moment. But it's like a lot, most of the time, our journey is told through like the CCTV cameras. Yeah. Man, it's actually a lot more interesting now that I know it was shot in America. Because one, I, I bought it. I was like, okay, we're in Japan. Nice. But it weirded me out that there was like traditional f- furniture. 
Because I'm like, okay, from what I know, I don't think, you know, couches are that prevalent over there. Or yeah. like, you know, like there's a lot of like sitting on the floor when you eat. And I'm like, so, okay, this was like furnished differently, but like. I didn't even think about it because it was like an American guy who owned it. Right. Or no. It was a, no, his Japanese uncle, like his uncle who lives in Japan. So like he basically the, the protagonist flies out to Japan to check this out. Um, in the, in the story, you know, and then we just ta- realistically for production just kept everything in, in Los Angeles. Too. Dude, it worked though. At no point did I question <laughs> that it was like in Japan or not. Nice. Which is why I thought you might've got attached like after the fact, like after okay. it was shot. Okay. Like somebody's like, Hey, I got this footage of like a vlogger in Japan. Also just from the casting, I was like, there's no fucking way this guy's Japanese. He's like, in the human centipede. He's the, he's the, like the lead actor in the human centipede. What the hell? Really? Yeah. Dude, that's so tight. Yeah. That's funny. I was just, cause you know, again, I live in San Francisco. So like you get a lot of uh stolen valor out here of people claiming some sort of connection to Japan because we're all Koji fans out here. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I just had to tell you that um, after I talked to Sam about it, I've just been like thinking about it. I'm like, dude, I don't know. There's something there. Oh, that's cool. It's, yeah. you know, it's nice when a movie sort of revisits your brain where you're like, oh, you know, I sort of give it more credit than I thought or, you know, just sometimes the opposite. But it is at least, you know, one of the sort of wins for a filmmaker is like you always want your audience to sort of think about the movie after it's done. Like, where could this have gone or, you know, where is it going to go hypothetically? You know, that's always a win for a director is to, you know, world build and, and generate catharsis. So I, I love yeah. hearing stuff like that. Yeah. The only thing I want from a film is to like, give me something that I can just like chew on mentally. Like just give me some like brain candy so I could like roll the story around in my head. And, you know, just because of like some aesthetic things I didn't like. I kind of like disregarded it, which is which is the problem that I usually rally against against people who watch indie film anyway. Like maybe like an actor doesn't come off the way they want or like the lighting isn't there and people just dismiss the art outright. And I get, you know, you got to be conscious of your time and everything. But man, all well, of one conversation, dude, I'm back on board. Well, that's awesome. You know, mm-hmm. I uh sort of sometimes do things a little unconventionally, like, especially as an editor, uh, because I personally favor soundscapes and sometimes like music or not necessarily like, um, score, but like atmospheric, like tones, things that, you know, you're, if you really think long and hard about it, you're like, you know, that sort of breaks this bridge to, um, you know, the authenticity of found footage. Cause like mm-hmm. we all know the, the classics didn't have music in it or scores or soundscapes, but I personally really do like that because, you know, I am sort of trying to contribute something different to the genre and um, sort of just a- apply what I know from filmmaking a little bit or, you know, things that, cause like I started this whole entertainment industry in the, in the music industry. I was a drummer in a, in a metal band, uh, right. you know, and, and so music really moves me personally. And that's why I love um, applying music to, to found footage. Cause I just, you know, I think it'll generate catharsis and not for everybody that's for sure. But, uh, 
you know, maybe for some, hopefully. <laughs> well, you know, when when we're thinking about that editor auteur shit that I keep spouting on about, your style is very energetic. And I think when you have a fast paced in world camera film, you need music. And here's what I think. If you are going to break the rules, just know why you're going to break the rules and it's okay to break the rules. Like Terrence yeah. Malick, you know, like nobody can, not everybody can go out and make a movie like Terrence Malick did because he paid his dues and sort of like, uh, you know, he, like a lot of, what a lot of people don't know is that like, he doesn't necessarily write scripts for a lot of his narratives. He um, does it very run and gun, lets the actors sort of um, discover the scene, you know, just by, like telling them on the day what they're going to be filming or sometimes just putting them in a, in a room and saying, you don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to film, we're going to bring some elements in and see how you react to it. Like that's what they did in night of cups with Christian Bale. Um, so like a lot of these unconventional things that Terrence Malick does, it works because he sort of developed that style. And he also writes these manifestos to his like crew that sort of outline why he's breaking certain rules, you know, he's, you know, to, to sort of say um, why the film is, why the production is going to be conventionally different, but like why he's, but it's, I think it's cool that he acknowledges that. And that's how he approaches working with his team is saying, Hey, this isn't going to be your typical thing, but I'm telling you why I think this will work. Man. I love that. I love hearing whenever a director needs to like warn the people he's working with, like this isn't a traditional movie. Like, um, you, did you ever meet Robbie Smith? I think you got in communication with him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, one of the, the singers of your favorite band, Heavy Heavy Lolo. Hell yeah. He, um, I love Robbie. And uh, he told me when he was on the set of the movie he shot that, that, you know, they were hanging out after and everybody was just like, man, it looks so good in the camera. This is so much fun. And he, he literally stopped the party and he was just like, hey, I just want you all to know this isn't a fucking traditional movie. <laughs> like, I don't know what you're picturing in your head. It's not going to be that. Yeah. So I, man, I love those stories. Um, well, Tom, I was kind of stalling out here to see if Clark would pop in and say hi, but who knows? Maybe his car skidded off of devil's pass and he's now buried in the ocean. But, uh, I don't know. W what should we be on the lookout? What do you got in the found footage radar that you could leave us with anything coming out? Yeah, I just acted in one with Isaac Rodriguez. He did Last Radio Call um, and A Town Full of Ghosts, which I worked on too with him. Uh, this time, I acted uh, as the as the cameraman in the movie. Um, it's a it's a feature called Mister Creep. It's like a uh, clown killer sort of uh, violent crime. Found oh, don't be ruining that shit. Now I know he submitted for us. Um, spoiler: We're probably going to accept it. I haven't watched it yet. I didn't know you acted in it. Yeah, yeah. You're the cameraman? Uh-huh. So you hear my voice like throughout the movie and then like I'm I'm in front of it very very little, but uh yeah. Well, okay, hold on. Now earlier I was giving you shit about never directing. Does this count? I mean you're now, okay. Now if you're an actor holding a camera in a in-world camera movie. Now when you get into the like bureaucratic Hollywood world, do you do you get a different kind of credit? Like do you get credited as like cinematographer or like director or I'll tell you this is you know I don't I don't want to like um I don't want to sound pessimistic about this or or, or whatever or off-putting but like 
you know, a lot of the times the cinematographer is the cinematographer and then, you know, you bring in like a voice actor to, um, to sort of like, uh, dub in, you know, the, the dialogue, which, you know, basically that's sort of what we did with Mr. Creep is, um, now you're ruining my dream, dude. I know that's what I'm saying. I don't want to ruin people's dreams, but like, that's sort of how it works is like, you know, you just sort of try to connect the two. So it's like a, you're almost, you almost have two, two people as one character. You got the cinematographer, uh, you know, in the field being the body of the, the cameraman, but then you got an actor being the voice of the character. And so you have this like little hodgepodge of the two. Okay. Well, are you like behind the cinematographer moving with them or are you doing like ADR? Both. Okay. God damn it. Uh, you know, here, here's, <laughs> I keep thinking of M night Shyamalan and him talking about the visit because when the kids are under the house, do you know what I'm talking about in that great yeah. scene? Yeah. I remember seeing a, um, behind the scenes feature where the, the lead actor was talking about how he manned the camera mm. and he was actually doing that. Yeah. So I guess in my head, it just, I was like, well, duh. Well, you know what? Yeah, it makes sense because like you're underneath the house, right? Where like they're the the space is so confined that like it almost sounds like a headache and a half to to try to get like uh, you know two people down there, or you know if the if the scene calls for something that involves a lot of movement or really you know unique reactions, intimate reactions, like that makes sense to sort of give your. your actor, the camera, you know what I mean? Like in, in the alone in the after movie that I just shot with, with Scott Sloan, we sort of did a a little bit of a mixture of the two where like some found footage pieces were shot by like, um, our cinematographer. And then like a couple of the times we did give like, or, you know, the director did give us, um, sort of the camera to, to, to try it out. We basically did a lot of things twice, meaning like, we don't know if we're going to go with the option where it's like, was it the cameraman really behind the camera or was it the one that actually had the actor holding the camera? Mm -hmm. We wanted to try a little bit of everything. Man, that's fucking interesting. Well, Tom, I love you, man. Um, We, you know, we didn't get into black hole ghost. It didn't feel right without Clark here. I know. Also, um, I don't know if you listened to the new podcast. It just went up today, but I uh I broke the news about the Barbados boys winning an award, and I know Clark Clark's not here. You guys winning an award, like you, Randy, <laughs> and Clark winning the best credit sequence. <laughs> I you know it's a it's a tribute to how humble you are <laughs> that you say we won that award. Y'all because did. If anything, we were a hurdle to you winning that award. No, but, you know your great editing overcame it. And uh, congratulations. What a weird award to give out, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the weird awards, though. Those are fun. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a little, oh, God, I'm cynical in every stretch of life. And I just, I always think that film fests do that kind of stuff to attract more movies. Because, uh-huh. you know, you make revenue on more people that submit. So if you can give out 109 awards, it's kind of appealing. <laughs> but, I mean, dude. You know what? You know what unnamed footage should do is like oh, some no. sort of like mid consider it. It's like a midnight award, you know, where you where you have like sort of like the film that's you know good to watch late at night with your friends or something like that. But it's just it's a little you know different. Like like the Barbados Project is really different. Like that's like a good sort of midnight movie. You know what I mean? One to watch with your friends 
one to, you know, maybe even like poke fun at a little bit. Cause it's just, you know, we're just trying to have like a loosey goose time with, with, you know, all the crazy stuff happening in, in the film. Um, that that's always like a cool category. I think is just to find like the, the best new outlier, something oh. that's maybe not like a best of fest type of award, but something that's sort of like an honorable mention without just, you know, slapping an honorable mention. No, I get it because there is, you're onto something because there's like great ideas restricted by budget or like, I mean, Barbados, I'm shocked that they made that movie out there. I yeah. didn't even know there was like filmmakers who had the drive to make a found footage film in Barbados. Yeah. yeah so no, I totally get it. It's just, it gets a little oogie when you're like, we got a lot of awards. So, you know. Oh yeah. Like when, when it's way too, you know, elaborate with it where it's like, you know, best voice in a movie or it's like yeah. you know uh best best producer how do you even measure that <laughs> all right so just for the record i need you to say that i did not make that up for a bit or something <laughs> that that award was real what do you mean yeah. <laughs> that, that award you told me about that's a real award right oh i mean uh i've seen i've certainly seen it before but it, you know it's just it's just sort of like uh yeah, it's not it's not like a staple in with with the with the way the film festival community works is it's sort of like you have in-person festivals and online festivals and typically the online events um are the ones that have the elaborate categories. So there really is no like rule of thumb that people follow. It's just sort of like um very western style. Everybody's just, you know, sometimes you, you have these really unique uh categories that you Tom, all I'm, to all, all I'm asking is you didn't make that up, right? Oh, oh, n- no, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not Sorry. trying to get you to defend the online. Fa- Dude, that's where you get really oogie with that shit is the online ones. Yeah. I mean, God, half the time you don't even know who you're sending your movie to. It's true. Yeah. So don't do that. Yeah. Um, Tom, I love you to death, man. Um, Sorry, Clark couldn't be here. He was. You know, I was a little worried hearing uh, that you were kind of half in on Blackwell Ghost. So without getting into it, we might have to have you back on sometime. Yeah. And, you know, not even so like half about it. I just because I love the Blackwell Ghost franchise so much that like naturally, like, you know, I don't think anything could ever get better than the Blackwell Ghost 3 in my eyes. Just because I love that particular one so much that even though 7 wasn't as good as three, it doesn't mean I, you know, love that or the franchise any less. It's just, it was sort of like, um, I saw it, it was sort of like, you know, how Halloween three is like just the outlier film of the whole Halloween franchise. Oh, like it's no. the one film that doesn't have Michael Myers in it. It's Are sort of like Halloween ends or Halloween three, dude. Halloween three, right. <laughs> that one doesn't have Myers in it. It's just like, you know, sort of like that, you know, that's, sort of the case for this i think <laughs> randy just checked his watch i know randy i'm i'm thinking about you um tom i don't have a watch on for the record i, <laughs> I, I thomas i love you to death dude you better come out for the next unnamed i want to i really do yeah because we gotta kick it also last thing i promise this time tbr report bro when are we gonna get another one I thought y'all canceled it. I, no. I that one episode where, you know, oh Clark, said Clark was making fun of it or something. And then we were saying we were only going to do like 
special circumstances or, you know, special films to like recommend, which I'm happy to jump back on the TBR report. But if you want me to stick to just like, my God, (laughs) you can't take Clark seriously with that shit. He tries to cancel David Lynch every week, but we're going to keep flying him out. Oh yeah. Here's the thing. I have, I have a little bit of guilt when it comes to the TBR because every week, you're acting in movies, you're editing movies, you're trying to wrangle people together to make your own. When you find a film that we got to talk about, you need to send me an email. I'll do it tonight. I already know which one I want to send. Dude, all right. Well, I'm fucking ready, man. I mean, I know, um, what, November 27th, we might have a little uh, life entering this world. But I'm, yes. willing to, I'm willing to put that on the back burner because people <laughs> going to get out. So yeah. <laughs> you Thomas. are. <laughs> Thomas, I love you to death, but it's Randy. I love you guys. Thank you so much for always bringing me on. I love talking to y'all. No, we're not done, dude. We're, we're oh. going to bring you back forever. Yeah. Fuck yeah. <laughs> I love you, Tom. Get out of here. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>